thankful to know you this evening. So thankful for times like this, Lord, where we get to worship in your presence. Lord, we thank you. We acknowledge your presence in this place. That's why we rejoice and we praise you for your goodness. Lord, we praise you that there is none like you. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we're so thankful, God, that when we call unto you, you answer us. We're so thankful, God. Lord, when we wanted nothing to do with you, running from you and rebellion to you, even now the fact that we know you, God, and we fall short of your glory, you still love us, God. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're so thankful for that, God. We're so thankful tonight for your word, Lord, for your spirit, Lord. When you ascended, you said you didn't leave us as orphans, but you sent us your Holy Spirit, the teacher of all things. Lord, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit, which guides us, leads us, directs us. We're thankful for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, and we love it. Even as the psalmist said, it's honey to our lips. And you said, how blessed is the man who delights in your word and meditates upon it day and night. He will be like that tree planted by rivers of water whose leaf won't wither, and whatever he does, he will prosper. Lord, help us to delight in your word tonight. Lord, there's no place we'd rather be than here with you. There's nothing we'd rather do than to hear from you tonight. And so would you speak to us in a real, special, powerful, personal way, Lord. Meet each need, Lord. God, we come into this place, different backgrounds, different stages and phases in our walk and our relationship with you, but the one thing that every single person here needs, Lord, is more of you in our lives. More of you, less of us. So God, we lay down at your cross, sins, we confess shortcomings and our failures, Lord. We're so thankful that when we do that, you will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Lord. And we need to be cleansed. We need to hear from you. Give us something to hold on to tonight, God. And Lord, I pray that as your spirit is in this place, that God, you would do amazing things. That people would be delivered. That people would be set free. That people would be healed. God, that people would receive an answer or a word from you tonight, God. Well, those are things I can't do, God. But you can, through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we give you freedom, access, that your will will be done in this place. And that we will, by faith, leave changed, closer to you. God, we believe by faith that marriages will be healed in this place tonight, God. Relationships will be restored. So God, use this time. God, we want to pray for our country. Take some time to pray for the election coming up, Lord. God, I pray that your will would be done. That Christians, believers would show up to the polls and vote. Give us your heart to know what to do, what not to do. 
reveal your will for this country and that we would show up and that our voice would be heard, God. Most importantly, your voice would be heard. We want to see revival, God. We want to see people know you. And so, God, just, uh, just be here with us tonight, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen, amen. God, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts chapter 22. Just to reiterate, it's at 10 a.m. We're going to be meeting here. Man, I've already hit my quota for mistakes, and I haven't even gotten started. So uh, make sure you guys give me some grace tonight. But uh, 10 a.m., it's going to be a lot of fun this coming Saturday. Be praying now. Be praying now that God would use us, use this place this coming Saturday. So Acts chapter 22, as we left off last week in Acts chapter 21, Paul was close to being killed, and they dragged him out of the temple. They called him a blasphemer. They said he was bringing Gentiles into the inner courts. And so a Roman commander came down, dragged him off, and saved him out of harm's way. And as he was getting dragged off, this hostile crowd, the crowd that he had desired to preach and to reach so long, they were going to kill him. And he's getting dragged away, and he has one request from the Roman commander. And it was, can I just share with them? He had waited so long. He had such a heart for the Jewish people, his own people, and he had had this opportunity to share with them, and it did not go well, and he just still wanted to share. He still wanted to love. He still wanted to pour out the love of Christ to them. And so we pick up right there in the Roman substation outside of the temple. He's on the steps, and he's getting ready to preach and to share a message of love and grace that's on his heart. And so we'll see how it goes, picking up in 22, verse 1. It says this, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up right here in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are today. I persecuted the way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren. And started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So the scene and the stage is set. He's on the stairs. This is during the feast of Pentecost. There's thousands of his Jewish brethren there who had just attempted to kill him and to literally rip him to shreds. And instead of running from them, as hard as to run to them to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Long-awaited opportunity to share a message with them. And so it says in verse 1, he starts pleading with them to listen. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. That's how he starts this message. A message that no doubt he had ran through his mind time and time and time again for years, thinking about what would he say to his people. And here he is, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. Now the word defense here in the one, it comes from the Greek word apologia. And I point out because that is where we get our English word apologetics. And so he says, hear my defense. This is my apologetics to you guys. Now, the word apologetics, it has to do with defending the faith. It has to do with giving a logical and factual reasons for why he believes. 
And so what he's saying to his brothers is, listen to what I have to share with you. This is why I believe it's logical, it's factual, and I will defend my faith. And we all have to be able to do that. We have to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. It's logical. It's biblical. We have reasons for why we believe, and that's why he's saying, look, just listen to me. He's pleading with them. Just hear me out for a moment. And so in last chapter, as he was getting pulled away, we saw that he spoke to the Roman guard in Greek, but here in verse 2 it says he addressed them, the people, in a Hebrew dialect, which would have been Aramaic. And he does this to build a bridge with them. He's trying to find common ground to be able to impart the gospel into their hearts. And so that's what we have to do. No matter who we're talking to, try to find common ground. Not for our favor, not necessarily for friendship, but to build a bridge to impart the gospel of Jesus Christ into their life. And so that's what he's doing. He says to the Greek, he talks Greek. And now he's talking to his Hebrews, and so he begins to speak to them in their native tongue. Hebrew, Aramaic. And he does that. It works. It says in verse 2, they became even more quiet. We left off last week at the end of chapter 21. He's getting dragged off and he puts his hand and it says the crowd became quiet. He begins to speak Aramaic. All of a sudden, they begin to listen with a little more uh, intrigued by the language in which he was speaking. And so, as we know, think about this is so important for maybe you've had to give a speech or maybe you knew you were going to an interview and you knew the questions that was going to be asked and you go over and over and over in your mind what you're going to say. Well, if they say this, you're going to say this. No doubt he had practiced this message for many, many years over and over and over. This was a message he wanted to give to them. And notice the message that he brings to them. Look here, it's not a message from the Old Testament. He doesn't begin to share about the Old Testament, about the fathers and Abraham and all Isaac and Jacob. He doesn't begin to share that at all, does he? Not only does he not talk about the, the fathers, but also he doesn't begin to talk about the law. Notice intently what he starts his message with. It's with his testimony. His testimony he begins to share with them. Now, it starts off by saying, I am a Jew. From Tarsus. That's how he begins his message. Not, this is what Abraham said, or this is what God says. It says in the law. He doesn't say that at all. He starts one of the most important messages that he had went over in his mind time and time again. These are people that he loved. He said he would be accursed to see them come to the Lord. How is he desiring to win them? I'm going to share my testimony with them. And in this, we see the power of sharing a testimony. There is power in what God has done in your lives. Say amen. There is power in what God has done in each and every single one of our lives. He's done a miracle. He's done a miracle. Whether you were a little kid and you got saved when you were six months old in your crib, singing, Jesus loves me. That was your first words, Jesus loves me. Or whether you got saved yesterday. It doesn't matter. God did a miracle. He took someone who was dead and he made him alive. And so there's power in a testimony. People can argue. And they can debate many things regarding the scriptures and Christianity and faith and all these different things people want to debate and argue about. But there's one thing that nobody can debate, and that's a changed life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Look, I want to share with them. This is how I was, and this is what God did in my life. There's nothing they could say about that. If I begin to talk to them about Jesus, wow, they'll get all crazy. If I begin to do that, ah, yeah. But let me just tell you what God did in my life. 
Reminds me of John chapter 9, verse 25. You might remember the Pharisees were grilling Jesus on healing the man on the Sabbath. Remember, he gave sight to the guy's eyes. And they were grilling, why would you do this? And so they bring the man on trial and they say, tell us what happened and who this man and who did this. And the guy, he didn't know anything. He didn't know much about Jesus, but what he did know, he told the Pharisees before the court in a hostile situation, he says, look, I don't know much, but this is all that I know is I was blind, but now I can what? See. Testimony. Hey, look, man, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know about this guy Jesus you're looking for. I know nothing. All I know is this dude came up, he touched me, I was blind, and now I could see. And there's nothing they could say. What can they say to that? And so I think it's important that we share our testimony. When we're sharing our faith, when we're going through the scriptures, incorporate it. And I love to share my testimony at the end. When I'm sharing my faith, Hey, man, you know, you know, I'll take people to the scriptures. These and if they, if they begin to shut me down, I say, hey, man, can I just share one thing with you? Let me just share one thing with you. And they're like, oh, okay. And I just tell them my old life and how I was. And people are like, they, they think I'm joking sometimes. You begin to say, well, this is my life then, and this is my life now. I just want to share. Jesus changed me, and he could change you too. And you leave that with them, and it plants a seed, and they're like, man. There's something real about the power of Jesus that can bring forth change and transformation in someone's life. And that's what happened here. That's what he begins to share. And he gives us, throughout the chapter 22 here, he gives us a format for us to share our testimony as well. Whenever we share our testimony, I believe it needs to be broken up the same way that the Apostle Paul broke it up in three parts. Our life before Christ, how we met Christ, and what Christ has done since. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. And so in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22, the Apostle Paul shares his life with them before Christ. This is how I was. And he goes to the things, hey guys, remember, I was persecuting Christians. I was dragging them away. I was just like you. I was zealous for the law. I was going out of my way to take Christians, men and women, dragging them out of their house, putting them in prisons, and beating them. You guys remember that. He's telling them, building bridges. This was my life before Christ. And then verses 6 through 9, he says, this is how I found Christ. This is when I gave my life to the Lord. And then we'll see in verses 10 through 21 what God was doing in him and with him. And I think it's important as we look at the testimony, you'll see the longest part, the, the focus of his testimony is how he came to the Lord and what had God done since. And I think that's important because sometimes you hear a testimony and it's all bad. You hear 25 minutes about how a person did all these different things and then I got saved and God is good. Let's pray. Like, wait, what do you mean? All I got from was that you were a terrible person. I knew that. What has God done? And so I think it's important to, 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 to major on the important things. Hey, this was my life before. This is the way that I felt. This is the way that the ways of the world led me. But then I found Christ there. And this is how I got saved. This is what he did. And this is what he's doing. Now you focus on the good and what God is doing. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. And so desiring to build that bridge with his people, he points out in verse 3 that he was brought up in this city and he was trained by Gamaliel. He goes, look, I, I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised. I was trained up right here in Jerusalem. And so not only was he raised and taught in Jerusalem, but he was taught by one of the best and most respected rabbis of all time. And so he's just letting them know, hey, you guys know Gamaliel. Of course, everybody knows Gamaliel. He trained me. He's building a bridge with them. Now, 
It's interesting, in the historical writings, Gamaliel actually talks about training and pouring into the Apostle Paul. And he says that of all the things that he mentions about him, he had one problem with the Apostle Paul, and it was he couldn't find enough books for him to read. He said he was an exemplatory student. Everything he gave him, he just tore through it. And that was the only problem that Gamaliel ever had with the Apostle Paul. So he says, look, he trained me. I was trained right here. And so, not only that, he goes, part of my testimony? I persecuted the way. These Christians that you have a problem with, I was on your team. Remember, I was the one going around, dragging them out of their houses, persecuting them, and putting them to death. I think it's interesting in verse 4 how he refers to Christianity. He doesn't say, hey, I was a persecutor of Christians. You know those Jesus freaks? Yeah, I was against them. He doesn't say that. Notice in verse 4, he says, I persecuted the way. That's how we referred to Christianity. That's how Christianity was referred to back then, the way. And it's interesting because I believe how amazing that is. Because Christianity shouldn't be a way that we live our lives on Wednesday or Sundays or certain days throughout the week, but it should be the way that we live our life. It's a way of life. Christianity isn't something that we do. It's something that we are. It's the way that we live. They understood that back then. And I think it's important to understand that today and ask ourselves tonight, is Christianity a way of life for us or is it something we do? It's a way of life. Everything should be influenced and affected by our love and our gratitude and our devotion to Christ. The way we treat people, the way that we walk, the way that we talk, interactions that we have. It's all influenced by Christ. And so they understood that back then. I think it's important for us to understand that today as well. And so he says, look, I wasn't going around being this renegade, zealous for the law. I wasn't doing this on my own accord. In verse 5, he points out, hey, the high priest can testify to my workings. He actually gave me authority to do the things that I was doing. So they're probably loving this message right now. Wow, he's one of us. Wow, the high priest knew him. He was trained by Gamaliel. There's a lot of bridges being built and dropping Gamaliel's name and the high priest's name. It's adding validity to the Apostle Paul and the things that he had done. And so we pick up in verse 6 where it says this, But it happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime. A very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me, they saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. And so this is the good part, where he found and gave his life to the Lord. He gave the first part of his testimony, what it was like before. Now, this is how I got saved. This is how I came to know the Lord. Everything changed for the Apostle Paul in verse 6. We see it starts off in verse 6, but it happened. You can circle that in your Bible tonight, but it happened. That's when everything changed, but it happened. 
That should be the case with any testimony and in all of our lives, any life of a believer. There should be a major turning point, a point that we can look back and like the Apostle Paul and say, but it happened. There's a changing point, a moment that separates the old life and our new life. We see that same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and we were going through this world meandering, walking without purpose, goal, or direction, just dead men walking. It says, but God. It was that but God moment when he saved us, when he transformed us, when he opened our eyes. We all have that moment. We should. And that's what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He said, but it happened. I came face to face with Jesus. He shares exactly how it happened for him. He says in verse 6, on my way uh, to Damascus at about noontime, a bright light suddenly flashed all around me. This was the moment that his life changed forever. He came face to face with Jesus Christ. It's almost like he was telling him, hey guys, I was like you. I was zealous for the law. I was raised right here in Jerusalem. I was trained by Gamaliel. I was with you guys. I can sympathize with you guys. But then I literally saw the light. The light came on. Do you guys remember the day when the light came on for you? Where you understood who Jesus was. When you understood what he did for you and the plans that he has for you. That's what he's saying. Look, I was just like you until I saw the light. And I think it's interesting that he points out when he saw the light. It said it was about noontime. The middle of the day, on his way to Damascus, a bright light. Do you realize how bright that light must have been at 12 noon when the sun is shining at its brightest, but that light the sun was giving off paled in comparison to the light that he saw as he was looking up to heaven. The light was so bright, it says in verse 11, that it blinded him. Our God is amazing and powerful. In the middle of the day, he said, what is that? This wasn't light shining in darkness. This was brighter than any light that we've ever seen. And after seeing that light, he heard a voice from heaven. It said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He heard it. He's looking up and he says, who are you? He says, Jesus, I am Jesus. Can you imagine, just for a moment, how the apostle Paul felt at that moment right there? blinded by the light. Who are you, Lord? He knew that this was something divine, that this was something bigger than anything that he'd ever seen. He goes, who is this? And he said, I am Jesus. At that moment, he realized Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was murdered and hung on a cross, the one who he was going around persecuting all of the father, all of his followers, was alive. And he was the one he was persecuting. He thought he was doing good. He thought he was helping God, but he was fighting against God. But yet God revealed himself to him. You see, the Apostle Paul's testimony is not much different than any of ours. We too were fighting against God, kicking against the goat until what? We saw the light. You were the one, you were God. You were the one who created me, who loved me, and I've been fighting against you my whole time. This is how he came to know the Lord. He has an amazing response, the same response that all of us had when we realized who he was. We see the response in verse 10. This is a changed heart. The first thing he says is, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? Many people ask and they wonder, how do I know I'm truly saved? What does a truly repentant and broken heart look like? I think it's 
summed up right here in these five words. What shall I do, Lord? He realized who he was. It's a dramatic switch when we go from doing what we want to doing what God wants. Before Christ, there wasn't a moment that ever we woke up and said, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do? No, we woke up without Christ and said, what am I going to do today? How am I going to please myself? How can I, you know, make myself happy today? Please myself. But now, as believers, we should wake up every day and say, God, what can I do for you today? Lord, what shall I do? Our lives are no longer our own. We're here, placed for a purpose bigger than ourselves. We're Christ's hands and his feet. Lord, who do you want to touch through me today? Isn't that amazing? Not, man, God, what am I going to do? No, God, what can I do for you? That's a changed life. When you're thinking that way, when your mind is working that way, then you know it's changed because we're selfish. Now, don't get me wrong. There's not those times where I don't wake up and I'm thinking, man, Lord, I need to get a, a mani-pedi today. You know, these, man, man, I need to, but nobody will give me a mani-pedi. I walk in, all the ladies run, they take a look at my feet, they're like, closed. I'm like, what? You know, but I mean, there's time that we need, you know, to, you know, we, we think about ourselves. That's not wrong, but our mindset and our thoughts and our hearts are all towards pleasing God. What do you have for me today? That's a changed life, and that's what we see right here. So he says, Lord, what shall I do? God responds right away. He says, get up. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. God didn't say, hey, figure it out. You're on your own. And in this, we're reminded whenever we search and we seek and we ask God from a, a sincere place, he will always meet us there. God, what shall I do? He says, go to Damascus. He didn't give him the full plan, did he? And in this we see something that we've seen in our lives many times and that we see many times in the scriptures as well. God, for whatever reason, his ways are higher. I wish this wasn't the case, but majority of the time, God gives step-by-step instructions, doesn't he? He doesn't give us the whole plan. He doesn't give us the full instructions. You go buy something from Ikea, even with the instructions, you can't figure it out. I don't know what it is. It's English, but it's, it must be another language. But it's one, two, three, four, five. It's all these instructions. God says, go to Damascus, and then you'll figure it out. Go to Damascus. What do I do in Damascus? Just go. Okay, and he goes. God very rarely gives the whole plan, the whole picture. And we see that time and time again throughout the Scripture. We're reminded in Acts chapter 8, Philip was in the midst of a revival in Samaria. People were coming to the Lord. It was an amazing time. God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to leave this thriving ministry with thousands of people. People coming to the Lord, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to leave this and I want you to go to the desert. Wait, what? Philip, go to the, God, go to the desert? But he didn't, he went. Okay, God, I am in the desert. You see that chariot? Yeah, I see the chariot. I'm out in the desert, that's the only thing else. Go overtake that chariot. Go overtake the chariot? Step by step. He didn't give him the whole plan. But through that, through his obedience, God was able to use Philip to lead the eunuch to the Lord. The eunuch might have been the first one to take the gospel back to Africa. Why? Because he was willing to step out and be obedient. What if Paul didn't go to Damascus? What if Paul said, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I need more than that, God. Not that any of us would ever say that. God, I, I really want to serve you, but you, you need to tell me a little bit more than do this. Give me, give me everything. 
step-by-step plans. And oftentimes, because God gives step-by-step and not the whole picture, because of the way God works, we find ourselves not taking that first step. Not taking that first step. And when we do that, we miss out. We miss out. God, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. He says, go here. And we're, but then what? But then what? And so we miss out. But when we step out, that's when we see God move. I love the story in Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. They were getting ready to go into the promised land. And to go into the promised land, they had to cross the river. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with that. And the river was deep, and it was wide, and it was all these things. They didn't know how they were going to do it. They had the ark. They had all these different things. And God said, you go. And you have the priest go first. And as soon as the priest's feet touch the water, it's going to stop roaring. Okay. You see, if they wouldn't have took the step, they wouldn't have saw the miracle. So they did that. The whole nation of Israel, millions of people, they get there. The priest's feet step on the water, and everything is beautiful. The same thing with, um, with the parting of the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea, and what they think? Oh, my goodness. Moses, what are you doing? What's going on here? You let us out, and now we're just going to get killed by, oh, my goodness. But when they got there, what happened? That's when God parted the Red Sea. Unless we step, we won't see God move. God works step by step, and I wish that wasn't the case. I wish he gave us the whole plan. I wish I knew the whole plan for my life. I wish I did. I don't know why God works like that. Why does God work? Why doesn't God give us the whole plan? I can only think of a couple of things. One, he wants us to have trust and faith in him through the whole plan. He wants us to be reliant and dependent upon him. If I knew what was coming, I could take a little bit of control. If God told me, hey, Eric, on your way home, this was going to happen, I might take another path. If God had said, Eric, I'm going to call you into the ministry and this is going to happen, I'd be like, Lord, that's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. I don't want that to happen. I'm afraid of that. But as I'm walking with him, I'm walking with him. He's giving me that courage. As I step, he's empowering. If we knew everything, it wouldn't take faith. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so God does this, and he allows us and calls us to walk by faith, and he gives us these opportunities to help us grow in faith and in trust with him. And so we can look back and say, man, God, I trust you more today than ever before, because I look back, there was times where I didn't think I was going to make it, but you brought me through it. There was times when the Israelites were standing at the Red Sea and they're thinking, what are we going to do? They're telling that testimony. Let me tell you guys, man, all their kids, you won't believe what happened. Pharaoh was coming and we're like, oh my gosh, we were freaking out. And all of a sudden the Red Sea parted. God is faithful. And we all have testimonies like that. We're like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to pay that bill. I didn't know how my marriage was going to survive. But God did this. So it gives us these opportunities to grow. What does this look like practically? I think stepping out of faith, we see it so beautiful in 1 Samuel chapter 14 with Jonathan. You guys remember Jonathan, David's good buddy? One of my favorite stories, Jonathan, in the midst of all this chaos and craziness, he looks down and he says, hey, let's just go down there and see what the Lord may want to do. He had faith. I don't know, but I want to see if God wants to use me. Let's go down there and see. It didn't make sense. It was scary. It wasn't right from the outside, but he had faith and trust in God. Hey, let's just go over there and see what God will do. And as they went down there, God began to move. And so he shares this testimony, how he came to the Lord. Look at verse 11. We pick up there. It says, 
But since I could not see of the brightness of the light, I was led by hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing near to me, and they said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him and all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So now he's blind, and God says, go to Damascus. Now he's like, okay, he's going to Damascus. He had to be led there. And when he gets there, the second part comes in. He meets a man. He receives a sight. Step by step, God is supernaturally providing and making his path straight. And so sharing his testimony, he brings up a man that they may know, Ananias. The Bible says in verse 12, he was a devout man. Devout by what? By the standard of the law. So he's building bridges with them. You guys may know Ananias, a very devout man. Ananias was also a believer, a man of good reputation. And so when Paul came to see Ananias, we get a little bit of insight. In Acts chapter 9, we see that Ananias just touched him in his, and he was able to see. But here we get a little insight into actually what Ananias began to say to him and to pour into him. And he points out two things that he shares with them that would be good for his Jewish people to hear the things that God said to him. The first thing he said was that God our fathers has appointed me. He's saying, look, man, God, Father God is the one who did all this. He was the one who's orchestrating all this. He's the one that called me. He's the one that saved me. This is all God doing this. The second thing he tells them is that you will be a witness for God to all men. He says, look, I know you guys don't like the fact that I hang with Gentiles, but it was God who called me, orchestrated all this, and told me that I was going to witness to all men, both Jew and Gentile. And so now he's beginning to tread in some, in some deep waters. And he's sharing with them, that, guys, this isn't what I wanted. Remember, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, member of the Sanhedrin, but this is what God did. God changed my life. It's an amazing testimony that when we think we have a plan, when we think we have a purpose, when we think we have a direction, and then God changes everything. How many of you guys have been there before? Those of you guys who were here a couple of months ago, we were able to ordain three pastors into ministry. And maybe some of you guys remember Pastor Chris's testimony. On the fast track of an education, principal of one of the most prestigious high schools in Orange County. Young, climbing the corporate ladder, but empty and broken, and God had something else. And he laid all that stuff aside. He considered it rubbish to serve the Lord. He thought this thing, but God the whole time knew, hey, man, I got this for you. We all have testimonies like that. That's what he said. Guys, this isn't what I wanted. I devoted my whole life. But God changed me. And God had different plans for me. And so he's preparing them. And so we pick up in verse 17. It says it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, 
They themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. Verse 20, and when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so this is also a little insight that we didn't have before. Right after Paul was born again, right after this radical transformation, he went to Jerusalem and he was in the temple and God gave him a vision. And we see that vision very clearly. God spoke to him in verse 18. God came to him and said, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So God came to him right after he got saved. Everybody knew who he was. And they said, God said, you need to get out of here. And even with this clear vision that God spoke to him, the Apostle Paul didn't leave. He received this Lord. He didn't understand why they were, wouldn't receive him. He begins to, to reason, to talk, to argue, to, to question God. And verse 19 and 20, why wouldn't they receive me? They don't know about me. They knew I used to kill Christians. They know when we stoned Stephen, the first martyr, that I was there consenting to this. And so God tells him again, you need to get out of there in verse 21. And I'm going to send you far, far away to the Gentiles. And in this little interaction, we see the young and immature Apostle Paul. An Apostle Paul that we never see again throughout the scriptures. He was literally arguing and explaining to God why it was a good idea for him to be there and to share. God, I'm the perfect person to reach them. God didn't want him to be there. God was telling them to go, but he, God, I, they know me. Use me here. Ultimately, he thought he knew better than God. And he began to let God know it and counsel him and try to correct it. And as I was reading this, I can't help but think, are we like that at times? When God's given us directions, when God's given us insight, when God's telling us something to do, it's like, oh, God, I, I like that plan, but let me, let me just tell you how that might get a little bit better. Let me, let me correct you on a couple things. I would be the perfect, if you did it this way, and we, and we begin to argue, question. And that's not the heart of somebody who could say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's immaturity. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. God, if you want me to go, I'll go. That's not where the Apostle Paul was very young. And so as we mature in our faith, we no longer question, we no longer argue. We just submit to our servants and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'll do and I'll go. Verse 22. It says, they listened to him up to that statement. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should be no longer allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging, so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him in that way. But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and he told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. The commander came and he said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, 
but I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, and the commander was so afraid when he found out that he was a Roman because he had put him in chains. But on the next day, wishing to know for certain what he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. So this is when things go bad. The apostle Paul was building bridges. He was getting really deep with them. I was like you. I understand you. I was born here. I was trained by Gamaliel. And then he begins to talk about how he came to the Lord and everything was fine. Until what? He says, God called me and told me to go to the Gentiles. And we see right there, I mean, in verse 22, it says they listened to him up to that statement. They said, oh my goodness, enough is enough. That's it. They were okay. This showed their hatred towards the Gentiles. They believed just because they were God's chosen people that, they were, that the Gentiles were created just to feel the fires of heaven. That's when they knew this guy is off his rocker. That God, that our God would send you to reach the Gentiles. There's no way. And they got enraged. Verse 23, they began to take off their clothes and tossing dust. They had lost all reason, complete control of their anger and emotions. And when they would begin to throw dust and take off their clothes, they were preparing themselves to stone the Apostle Paul to death. That was their plan. This is blasphemy. We need to stone this man. And so in light of all the chaos, in verse 24, the Roman commander thought that he should be examined by scourging. we got to figure out what's going on, it says in verse 24, the reason why they were shouting against him. Now, even though the Roman commanders were there, they probably didn't understand what the Apostle Paul was saying. He spoke to them in Greek, and now he's speaking Aramaic to his people. So they, they might just be standing by and hearing a nice, peaceful message, and all of a sudden he mentions Gentiles and ages. The place erupts. They're like, what is going on? They had no clue. We got we to gotta inspect this guy. And so they said, we got to scourge him. This was torture. We need to beat him with a cat of nine tails, with bone and glass at the end of each leather strap. They would strip him down, and they had him in the thong stretched out. And they were getting ready to begin to beat him, every lash harder and harder to get more and more information out of him we got to figure this out. As the beating took place, you would either confess or most people would just die if they didn't give forth the information. And when we think about this horrible, horrific beating that the Apostle Paul was getting ready to take place, we can't help but think about the beating that Jesus took for our place. He endured a scourging of 39 lashes. Many and most would die from that type of beating, but he didn't. And we're reminded what Isaiah chapter 53 says. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what? Healed. Jesus endured that beating amongst others for us so that we can be healed. And so... From this point on, he's in Roman custody. And from this point on to the end of the book of Acts, he is in Roman custody. And as we think about that, this wasn't the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Just because he was in Roman custody, just because he was now a prisoner, 
And he would just be shipped around and have different trials. That didn't stop God from using the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Paul was willing to be used wherever, whenever, and however God saw fit. Remember what he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So even though he was a prisoner, he still ministered to the saints, and he wrote most of the books while he was incarcerated. Think about that. During your devotion time, I encourage you to read Philippians. It's called the Book of Joy. He wrote that when he was in Roman custody in prison. And all he's talking about is joy, joy, joy. And I think about that. I'm like, man, there's no excuse for me not to be used by you, God. I got a lot of excuses. And we all do to not do those things that God called us to do. The Apostle Paul could have very easily said, God, this is it. It was a good run. It was a lot of fun. I'm arrested. I'm a prisoner. I'm going to see you soon. But that's not what he said. He knew the mission trips were done. Going from place to place was done. But he said, God, what can I do right now? I can write. And I can send letters. And I can encourage people. So I want to encourage you. Maybe your situation right now is limited. And maybe instead of thinking, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that, my question to you tonight is what can you do? Think about the Apostle Paul in prison, and he found a way to serve the Lord. Find a way to serve the Lord. You could even write letters. We have a ministry here called Encouraging Word. And all they do is write letters to people in hospitals. I get a letter here in, in my box every once in a while just from somebody in the body just, just encouraging. You can do that. You don't even have to put your, nobody puts their name on it. Signed, encouraging word. It's amazing. There's something for everyone. I'm looking around. Everybody put up your hands like this real quick. Shake them like this. Go like this. I was kidding. That wasn't planned. That's just me being off the rocker. But I, I think everybody in here, for the most part, I, I believe my sight's not the best, has two hands. I think if we have two hands, hopefully at least one of them works. I think you can show up this Saturday at 10 o'clock and hand a water bottle and say, Jesus loves you. You may not be able, oh, I can't teach. Oh, I can't sing. I can't. I mean, I think you can dig into the water and say, hey, man, Jesus loves you. On the count of three, everybody tell me your name real quick. One, two, three. I heard Ian. Where's Ian at? This guy's got a voice. This guy can pray for somebody this Saturday. He's got a loud voice. He might be a preacher, man. Let's not focus on what we can't do. Let's see what, what, what can we do. Apostle Paul, there's no excuses. No more excuses. We got to go. We got to be used. And so before the scourging, they're getting ready to beat him. We got to figure out what's going on. He asked him a question in verse 25. He says, is it lawful for you to, to scourge a, a man who's a Roman citizen? It was a problem to even bind a Roman citizen, which they had already done. That was a serious, serious crime. And to scourge a Roman citizen without lawful order, that's punishable by death. And so they had already messed up. And I'm sure they were terrified when they heard this. They began to ask, hey, hey are you a Roman citizen? He said, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. And they began to backpedal. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, once they found out, it says they immediately let him go. Immediately. Began to backpedal because they knew the magnitude of the mistake that they had just made. And still, still trying to figure out what was going on, they said, let's send him to the Sanhedrin. So the Apostle Paul probably saw this as another opportunity to share the Lord. Hey, let's send him to the Sanhedrin. 
he's probably thinking, okay, Lord, hopefully this goes better than the last time. I tried to share with my people, and man, a riot broke out. Maybe the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, who was, I was a member of, I'm going to share with when I get there. And so in closing, I want to encourage you and leave you with a couple of things. One, God leads step by step. And so step out in faith, and let's not miss out on the great things that God wants to do with us. Let's not try to argue or counsel God on a better way. Let's say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And just thinking about the Apostle Paul, he was so unique. He, he was a Roman citizen who was a Jew who was trained up by Gamaliel who got born again and he used to persecute and, and kill Christians. When you talk about a past, how many of you guys got pasts? When you talk about a past, that's a creative, unique past. There was none like him, but God was able to use his past and use his story for his glory. And I can't help but think if he can use him man like Paul, he can use a man like you, a woman like you, who's all unique. Don't let your past stop you from doing what God wants to do presently in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in this place tonight, Lord. We thank you, God, that you revealed to us. Without faith, it's impossible to please you. And so, God, we want to please you. And so help us to step out, step by step, knowing that you are good and we can trust you, Lord. We don't want to miss out. And God, we're so thankful that when you do reveal your plan for us, Lord, we don't want to argue or try to convince you of a better way. We just want to do it your way, God. Your ways are higher. You're so much smarter. So forgive us for those times that we do that. So Lord, help us. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.